0: In today's interview, I am talking to Mario from the index fundinvestor.eu. Mario is based in Berlin and knows a lot about ETFs. He wrote an entire book about them. So today I'm going to chat with him and figure out all the nitty gritty if it comes to making choices on ETFs to buy, how to get them, the criteria you should look at, much and much more. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias.
1: Hi, this is Matthias, and I want to introduce this episode's sponsor, which is Evo Estate. Evo Estate is a real estate peer-to-peer aggregator, and with them, you can build a portfolio of real estate peer-to-peer lending investments. Like with your ETF portfolio, you can diversify your investments in many aspects. With one account, you can build a diversified portfolio of projects of many different deal providers across 11 countries. With the three investment types you can decide if you want to invest in property loans, equity or earn a steady income from rentals. Most projects are backed by collateral and you can expect returns between 5 and 18%. What I really like about them is that Evo Estate founders also invest personal money in some of the projects and you could choose to follow them to invest in these curated skin in the game projects manually or just using the auto invest feature like I do. If you're interested you can find more information at financial-independence.eu slash EvoEstate that's spelled E-V-O-S-T-A-T-E and you can find the link also in the show notes. Hello
0: everybody, welcome back to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Euro podcast. Today I've got Mario with me from Berlin. Hey Mario, how are you doing? Hey Alvar, I'm doing great. Happy
2: to be here. (laughs) I would also like to thank you for having me, for for inviting me to be here. Uh, Yeah, it's a bit of an honor and probably my first Definitely my first podcast interview, so let's see how this goes. And nice I, <laughs> I would also like to thank you for your work on this podcast.
0: Nice one, Maria. I'm sure it's going to go great. And we should also uh, thank our mutual friend. Unfortunately, I cannot mention his name, but he got us uh, together in touch. And he's the reason we're sitting here together um, on this sunny Tuesday afternoon, although it is over Zoom. So in terms of topics today... Mario, I know you've obviously written a book. You've done a ton of research um, that comes into taxation within different European countries. And we, together, the two of us, we had a phone call last week where we were kind of like discussing financial journeys, choices you come across, and just how hard it can be to make the right choice. Which criteria do you use? And obviously, you know, you know a lot about this topic. And we're just going to have a chat with the two of us. And hopefully that's going to be of some value. But first of all, for the audience, would you just be able to give everybody a quick rundown of, you know, where are you about, where are you are from? How did you come in touch with Financial Independence? Uh, so I'm Mario. I live in Berlin. And um, I run a website
2: called indexfunnyinvestor.eu. And in that website, I try to explain in plain language how folks in Europe can um, invest in uh, in index funds and ETFs, I recently published a book uh, which covers similar topics around investing, index investing and ETFs for europeans and yeah i came I discovered investing maybe around two thousand and fifteen. I think I read the book Random Walk down wall Street and uh, Ever since that time, I've been sort of like digging this rabbit hole, trying to learn more about it. And, uh, and most recently, just trying to
0: explain to others how they can also uh, get on this journey. Nice one. And the first question I got of all, like somebody has done a lot of research and has written a book. How are you investing? Mm-hmm. What is the holy grail? Yeah, I don't think, I actually don't think
2: there's a holy grail. I think usually the way I like to look at investing is that You sort of set out a goal and then there's sort of like most appropriate mechanisms to to achieve that goal. In my case, my goal is just to have my portfolio be as simple as possible, to not have to worry about it, to not have to read market news, and to just be exposed to the market returns. In this case, this is done with index funds. And, there's, and the easiest way for me to access index funds while living in Germany is through ETFs. So in my case, I prefer, like for equity, the Vanguard F- FTSE World, which is just like a standard world tracker. But there are others. I just like this one because I like Vanguard. The TER was uh, low. It's not the lowest, but it was low enough for me. And I can buy it um, rather cheaply from my broker. So... By starting from simplicity, low costs, and the method that I believe that, um, has, that stood the test of time, which is index investing, then at the other end, I came up with this, with this particular ETF. But other people like to optimize for different things, so uh, that's also fine. I think what, what is important is that people know why they're investing in specific things uh, yeah, and follow with it.
0: <laughs> nice one. Um... Obviously, I think you're totally right. And we should always start with the reason why we're investing, because what's the point of throwing money into an ETF? If there's no reasoning, no motivation, no aim behind it. And so if I'm asking yourself, like, what is the right reason to invest? What would that kind of be like for an average person? What would be a good reason? And what would be a very wrong reason to invest? Okay, so I think uh, usually the main reason
2: why people invest is saving for retirement. So retirement is probably one of the biggest expenses most of us will have. Um, And there's value in saving for retirement because by the time we get to that point, we may not be able to work. So we need some way to support ourselves. There's also the fact that um, usually I tend to spend less than I earn. So there's a certain amount of money that, that I actually save. And there's multiple places where I can put that money. And since I don't, need, uh, I, don't need, I don't need a certain amount of money to live my daily life or in the short term, I prefer to invest it. So that, let's say maybe 10, 15 or more years from now, I can sort of like use it for some other purpose. Another aspect worth considering is also the fact that the sort of the pension systems and retirement systems in Europe are always changing, right? So, in a sense, that now there's the demographics are really changing in Europe. So, we have less working people for like folks that are retired. And as we live longer, that's only going to like the amount of working people per retired people is only going to decrease, like the ratio. So it's likely that by the time we are in our retirement um, age, either the retirement age is going to be increased or the, or the pensions are going to be decreased. So investing can also provide a way to, to sort of complement our retirement. I don't think that our pensions are going to be gone. I think we are still going to have them, but they, they may not be the same as they are today. So yeah, I basically invest for the very long term. And I think a bad reason to invest is to try to make a quick buck tomorrow or in a couple of months or in just a year. I think these assets are so risky that like, you may be able to make a quick buck in a year, but you also may just be lucky, right? (laughs) You can go to the casino and be lucky. It doesn't mean that your decision was the appropriate one. So I, I tend to think that at least the assets that I prefer, which would be index funds, are a poor, a poor investment vehicle for anyone that makes, wants to make
0: money quickly. <laughs> There's a clear relation between historical data and returns you can make on the long run with ETFs. Um, and you know, as you said, a quick buck, throwing in a margin trade or just like a very quick way of earning cash <sighs> There's not it's more it's a 50-50 chance, it's more gambling than actual investing. Uh, and I love that you also mentioned you know the demographic changes we're seeing and the fact that pensions just might be completely different. And I I mean I'm not sure if you agree with this, but not I think it's almost irresponsible not to do anything given all the changes we're seeing. Um, it's you know, it's possible, don't quote me on the data, but that you know, fifty or sixty percent of the funding. We got for pensions right now is simply gonna be gone because the people to pay in are no longer there. And not doing anything would be irresponsible almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely
2: am concerned about what's going to happen. I do think it's unlikely that we won't have any pensions just because I feel like it's the bedrock of our society. And I just think that the politicians wouldn't be elected if they would come with those ideas. Even if even today when the politicians discuss issues with social security funding, they always come up with ways to ease the burden. So it's like, we are going to increase the, the, the like minimum or maximum retirement age by one month every year for the next four years, just because this topic is so sensitive. And I mean, you're you literally talking about folks' livelihood. So that's why everyone is sensitive about it. So, but I do think that, we just need to take more responsibility. It's, 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 it's just the current, the current uh, environment. I mean, I would love it if it would be different, but that's not the case. And it's better to just face reality and adapt to it than just hope it to be different because it's not going to change just because we want it. So I believe that um, being uh, minded financially minded or being financially literate is important in this day and age even if it's just for
0: like saving for retirement purposes okay fair enough and i would say that's from there also try to zoom in a little bit on kind of like the average financial independence uh, seeker in europe so we've discussed kind of like from a high level overview now now developments are seeing you know why we should invest at all the changes in the system But, you know, that's all nice and good. But many people, you know, like, okay, all cool and nice system. But how about me? What do I do? So um, I know like tens of thousands of new um, kind of like five seekers have joined the community over the last year. And many are looking just to kind of like answer, okay, I'm sitting here. um, You know, I figured out my budget. I'm saving now. But like just starting from scratch and kind of like uh, from a path of choices, how would you kind of like advise the, you know, the person who starts out to, um, to approach things? Like, you, know, they've got, you can assume they've got your budget, they understand finance, but yeah, they just don't know like how to get started. How would you advise them to go? So I assume we are talking about people that will sort of do the investing for
2: themselves, which are often called DIY investors. And I believe that since you have to do everything yourself, it also means you have to take every decision yourself. And I think it's important that people have at least a basic understanding of investing. So what is a stock? What is a bond? What are index funds? Why do most people get better results if they just stick to index funds? Why costs are important? For instance, like why does a 1.5% cost for per year for a, for a, for a fund is, is a really bad idea. And so I usually tend to start here when I'm explaining things to people, like the trade-off between risk and uh, expected returns. And then I try to... So these would be sort of the fundamentals. And these are very similar to what you see in the U.S. and all, let's say, the best minds or the best writers in personal finance write about. And, and then, at least what I try to explain is how these, let's say, fundamental topics Connect with the practicalities. So, so when you're talking about, so you say, so you say, like invest in index funds. So, which types of index funds are available? Why should one choose ones instead of the others? Which criteria is often useful for that? Which broker? Which aspects of a broker should you consider, and so on? Um, so, I really, I really think that the best thing for beginners is for them to like get a sense of the theory and then directly show the theory actually applies in practice because the biggest difficulties I think beginners have is when it comes to the specifics because when we give them a book let's say like an amazing book from an US writer we are asking them to sort of like read the book and at the same time when they're learning they have to figure out what applies to them or doesn't and that's really hard to do at the beginning like when you already experience you can Pretty quickly see what applies to your case. But when you're starting out, I think that's the hardest. So sort of like bridging both. I've, I, I actually have um, on my website, I have like a, a small like email course, which is basically, it's, it's a way for to really lower the barrier. Because I think when you're starting out, you want to make it really easy for people to learn. And what I do that there is a, I send one email per day to everyone. And basically... One email per day, and in 10 minutes, you sort of get the concept. And, and yeah, and I think it's, it lasts for like 10 emails or so, and you can sort of get a generic idea of what investing is. And then you can go forward and like read other resources and so on. So yeah, so those would be sort of my thoughts. Theory, practicality.
0: Gotcha, and we'll link to your email course in the show notes. Uh, how's it called on the website? So
2: I I used to call it email course and then I started playing a bit more with copywriting then I started calling it like learn investing in 10 minutes a day. (laughs) 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 Because everyone was, um, yeah, I asked people "What's, what's your feedback and everyone says, okay, I really like the fact that I could like read this in 10 minutes and the language was simple and you had examples and more like links to other resources. So I started to realize that when you're starting out, you just really want things to be effortless. You don't want to have to read too many things at the same time because it will just leave you overwhelmed. So that's, that's what I'm trying to sort of like do, lower the cognitive
0: load. Gotcha. Lower the entry barrier so everybody can join in, Julio. And I would say that from there, because many people who listen to this podcast already have a very good understanding of finance, uh, although there are also many people who just start out now, let's for a second say, you know, we're getting the basics. Now, we've followed your course. We've done our reading. We know Mr. Money Mustache, and we've read every single blog post he has, and we're ready to go. So, obviously, you know, we've got these basic understandings, but we've got so many funds available to us. And in so many different countries, so many criteria are important for deciding I'm going to either go with this broker or um, I'm going to invest in this ETF. I'll use myself as an example back in the Netherlands. So the Netherlands taxes uh, dividends by 15%. If I would invest in VWRL, I would be taxed at 15% dividend tax, um, you know, just by default because of the Dutch legislation. Uh, but uh, for many Dutch investors, they're able to, for example, get uh, dividend tax from Dutch funds back. Uh, and there are all kinds of specifics to that that, you know, are kind of hard to caress and at the same time, the Netherlands has a treaty with the US. Uh, and if you sign a a W8 form, you're able to get 15% of the dividend tax refunded from the 30% the US charged by default for foreign nationals. And just quickly summarizing that, you know, if I would not kind of know what it means, I would be like, well, <laughs> I don't get it. Help me. I would just kind of say, like, in terms of criteria, where should people really kind of like when they make the, yeah, try to get like the most op- uh, optimal ETF. How should I approach it in terms of choices and criteria to look at?
2: Yeah, I think you touch on an important point, which is like the point of criteria. And I think that whenever somebody asks me, okay, like what's the best ETF I should invest, I, I feel like what they actually mean is, I mean, I have to make this choice, and I really don't know how to make this choice, and I don't want to screw it up. So please help me make this choice. So. The problem is that people don't know how to choose. It's not necessarily that they need, they want your specific ETF, they just don't know how to choose. And I think in order to know how to choose, you just have to have like a solid decision-making process. And the way I like to think about it is I like to start from the type of asset I want to be exposed to. So generally for me, if it's equities, I want to be exposed to the, Companies of the whole world weighted by market capitalization. So that's first. So anything that doesn't fit that criteria, like I ignore it. So then you go from like a thousand ETFs to like twenty ETFs, <laughs> and then and then I I have to choose between accumulating or distributing funds. And the choice of this really varies across Europe. I recently wrote about a blog post about this, where I found that. At least according to my current research, there's like five different types of options across Europe. Like when you're choosing between accumulating and distributing funds, there's like five different alternatives that you may end up running into. And basically when you choose between these fund types, you end up cutting the funds by half. So you go from 20 to 10 now. And then you can remove funds that are too expensive. For me, too expensive is like over 025 per annual TR, and then you remove another half. So then you're left with five. And then usually I just order them by TR. And, and by the way, you can do all these in JustETF, like on the free version of JustETF. And, uh, and then I just order them by, by TR or by the size of the fund, and just usually choose one of the largest funds. And, and then I also try to make sure that the fund I want to choose is available in my broker or is, or can be bought for cheap in my broker. So that's usually what, what I do. I like to believe that DIY investors are in the business of making good investment decisions or sound investment decisions. And you just need to have like um, a structured process to do that. You sort of define what's your investment goal, what's your criteria to analyze the alternative choices, where are you going to get the information from, which information are you going to collect, and then just yeah, just run with it. And I use it to select ETFs, to find out about taxes for my country, to select a broker. I use it for pretty much everything. And some of my most recent and favorite work is just about around teaching people how to think about this topic. So in the end, I, I sort of I feel like um, I, I feel like I tell people, okay, you're going to learn about investing, but effectively. I, I sort of teach people how to think about investing, which is, is a bit more of an interesting topic for me. And I think it's also more useful because then you can adapt if you change countries, if the
0: situation changes, if a new fund comes along and so on. And the website here we're referring to just ETF. Is that just literally just ETF.com?
2: Yeah, just ETF.com. You can you can go there and you can actually filter by all the criteria or order. And I, I really believe it's a an underrated aspect of JustETF is how, I mean, their, their filters are really extensive and uh, they are really good, I think. And uh, I mean, I use it all the time when I need to find the funds. I also made a video like, of me going through this process in JustETF, like really sort of like live. So in my book, I explained like written, but this is not as nice as like as a is showing. So there's also that.
0: Nice one. I've used them in the past myself um, and a number of other comparison websites. We'll link to them in the show notes just to make it easier. So, and obviously, then we've ended up with, we've done uh, your email course. We've studied the basics. You know, we've listened to the story you've just told, and we've just gotten, you know, a more sound investment follows ingrained in us, and we're ready to go. But then, of course, things happen in life. Things change. We're moving around in Europe, and you already mentioned that, Earlier, you know, if you happen to move country, you know, sometimes you have to change your ETFs um, or things happen. So, you know, I think many of us uh, we uh, move between countries, myself included. I've lived in three European countries uh, so far. Um, very good chance I'm going to move between multiple of them, and there's a high chance that at some point, if you know, let's say I move to Germany, that you know the ETF I own VWCE right now, which is an accumulating ETF. Which, for my purposes right now, works amazing. But let's say that's just no longer beneficial. Um, you know, for me moving to Germany, would it be in that case, you know, be easy to just sell everything off and find, you know, with the methods you described earlier, ETF that's yeah, applicable for the country I'm in, then I just buy it. An interesting anecdote is that
2: I moved from Portugal to Germany, and I was already investing in Portugal when I was living there. And when I moved, I was like. I mean, I've already been investing. Things will be the same. I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> and then like, when the like, tax season came, I was like, man, everything is different here, at least in terms of taxes. So yeah, taxes, I mean, even though we live in the EU, a lot of things are similar. Like A lot of things are also different because in the end of the day, these are different countries. For your case in particular, in which you'd be moving and there's like just a different type of fund that is better, it really depends on the specific taxes of the places, mostly because if you're going to sell your fund, you're going to pay capital gains taxes, which is also going to reach, like reduce your returns. It's a cost. So like selling in order to buy, I usually don't like to do it mostly because of capital gains taxes, but some countries have something which is called a tax-free allowance, which is an amount of gains you can have tax-free in every fiscal year. So I'll be okay with selling the funds for the tax-free allowance because I wouldn't have tax costs, for instance. But generally speaking, I prefer to just start buying the new one. In the case of Germany, what happens is that there's a tax-free allowance and usually what happens is that people prefer to invest in distributing funds until they fully use their tax-free allowance because they're going to get dividends which are tax-free. And when they reinvest them, these dividends, they just increase their sort of like cost basis. They actually don't count as capital gains. And then basically, when you sort of fully exhaust your tax-free allowance, usually people change to accumulating funds, which sort of have like a tax deferral uh, like component to them. So, I mean, the trickiest part about this in Europe is that, as I said previously, there's like five different scenarios I've been able to identify so far. And most countries have the simplest scenario, which is like accumulating funds are better because like, you get the tax referral aspect of not paying dividend taxes. But there's a few other countries that are different in that respect. And generally, I feel like a lot of it boils down to taxes. So what is the most tax-effective thing, which is going to be the thing that costs you the less to do? Generally, it's either to fully use the allowance or to, I mean, avoid selling it. There's also the fact that in some countries, ETFs have higher taxes than other funds. That's also where it gets tricky. Also, like in some countries, you may have, let's say, you may be living in the UK and you may, may have like an investment savings account and then you go somewhere else. And I mean, that isn't going to be tax sheltered anymore. So these are really, these are really tricky topics. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about like what happens when you change, like how to deal with the things that you already have. My general perspective is that it's like you should just try to lower costs as much as possible. I've only spent a lot of time thinking about like how to find out the taxes for the place
0: where you live. I very much like that approach. And when you mentioned switching between um, distributing to accumulating, Don't you have to sell off the funds in order to do something like that? You just start investing a
2: new fund in a new fund without selling. It's just a way to fully exhaust that tax-free benefit, which you only have once per year and it doesn't accumulate. So it it gives you like a bit extra returns because you have like up to, in case of Germany,
0: 801 Euros of tax-free dividends. That's not even that bad, especially if you consider what is the rate of VWRL right now, 2.2 or something. You yeah. need, a, you need you know, a relatively sized portfolio to reach those numbers. Yeah,
2: so I'm actually working on the spreadsheet now to just be able to calculate for each case what's the advantage. Because I feel like we talk about accumulating and distributing funds of uh, advantages, but I've never seen actually like detailed analysis of what's the impact for a given investment amount and so on. So I've actually been playing with spreadsheets to figure it out. I mean, it's still like a work in progress, but it's also has been like an interesting exercise to see it. But I think if you expect 2% for 801, I think it's maybe around like 6K, 60K. So let me calculate here just very quickly. Yeah, it's around 40K. So a portfolio worth around like 40,000 euros. If you would um, estimate like a, a yield of 2%, percent you get 800
0: euros in dividends. Gotcha, yeah, and that's not even that much, especially if you imagine, you know, the, if you assume the 4% rate, the portfolios we need to kind of make life work for us. Um, mm. One question I've got for yourself, well, actually more of a question the audience asks. We ran um, and Ask Me Anything uh, last Sunday, and we had so many questions on ETFs, which provider to use, which ones to ignore, how to kind of like base ourselves on that. And like at that point, Matthias and me and Arminta, we had a chat, but none of us are really experts, like on how do you approach that one? So I was like, okay, let's just ask you over here in the interview, and we're kind of okay. going to take it from there. So. What I'm just kind of one. so if we're looking at a provider like iShares or Vanguard, how do you really um, judge them? Like, what is the best one? And should you even care? And if so, should you use multiple providers to kind of like diversify between the providers? Yeah, so on the diversify
2: point, I think, I feel like we, in Europe, we're generally very risk-averse, so you always... Trying to think about ways to diversify. Should I diversify brokers? Should I diversify like funds? Like, even if they are the same, just like different funds. And should I diversify providers? So, I, I also I feel like that's, that's a question that I've seen less often in other scenarios than I see in Europe. But to answer your question uh, concretely, I generally prefer iShares and Vanguard. And Vanguard is mostly, these are, these are my biases. So, I'm just like trying to fully disclose them. I prefer, I like Vanguard because. Bubble is there, and they've been really been championing index funds. I like I shared because it just have a ton of funds, a lot of them are cheap, but not all of them, so you really have to pay attention and both also usually have tracking like low tracking differences, which is often the most objective metric you can look on this topic so often. They're very, um, yeah, often they are very low tracking differences. In the case of fresh shares, they use a lot of like shares lending. So even sometimes you can overperform the index. So that's usually what I prefer. I think what also, what also happens is that I don't like synthetic funds, the sy- funds that use like synthetic replication. In that respect, there's a few providers that are almost immediately out. So things like Amundi has a lot of synthet- synthetic funds also because they're tax efficient in, in, in France when you use it within their like retirement savings account. So yeah, I think I think I have my biases around Vanguard and I share. So that's what I usually choose. And then the tracking difference would be the more objective way to judge them. But what often happens is that for the funds that I prefer, which would be either like for bonds, it would be like a World, like tracking world government bonds or for shares, it would be something tracking like world companies. There's very few fund providers that provide that. And often then when I filter for TR, tracking difference, fund size, I, it often ends up being iShares or Vanguard almost all the time. So I think when you start, when you start from these criteria, you end up having like two or three close contenders that are often Vanguard direct right shares. And if they're from another provider, that's also fine. I think it's important that you start from that criteria and then, uh, yeah, and then choose from there. Sometimes it just happens that the three or two final choices are just super similar and you just have to go with one. It's not going to make a significant difference once every criteria you have set out has,
0: has been fulfilled. Roger, would you quickly be able to explain for the audience what you mean by tracking error and synthetic versus non-synthetic funds, just if people are not aware of what it means?
2: So, um, synthetic, I'll start with uh, the replication type. So, basically, a fund, like an index fund, tries to replicate an index. So, an index fund tries to have the same financial performance as an index. And an index is like a list of assets. Think of an index like a recipe. So some companies like published recipes, investment recipes, you need to put hundred grams of sugar, like two liters of water and so on. And then each investment company, which would be Vanguard and so on, tries to make sure that their implementation of this recipe is as close as possible to the original recipe. And there's different ways to implement this. You can either buy... Every single company that is part of the index, or you can just that, that's called like physical replication. And usually there's like full physical replication, which means buying every single company, or there's like sampled, which means picking a statistically significant amount of companies to buy from that list. Because if the companies that you don't buy, they are just like 0.5% of the list, they won't make matter much. And then there's like a synthetic replication approach and usually what that means is that uh, like the company enters into an agreement with a bank in which the company says i'll pay my investors the investor returns of this of this index and the company just uses a different let's say basket of assets as sort of like collateral or or just like as part of the investment fund and so on and then for the um, tracking error the tracking error and the tracking difference, they are just measures of how good, uh, how well did the um, fund provider implemented the index. So ideally you want, to, you want the, the tracking difference to be zero. So you want the fund to perfectly mimic the index, but it's almost impossible because there's costs involved and so on. And yeah, so often, often the the fund has a bit lower performance than the index. Sometimes the fund has better performance than the index. That often happens when the fund has like tax optimization and so on, and like in, in, in shares lending.
0: But all these criteria we can add in just ETF, rights In our filters to drill yeah. down to find the, yeah, <laughs> the the best or most optimal ETF for after. Yeah, yeah, basically the criteria is defined
2: by the investor in this case. I have the things that I believe are sound criteria based on what I've read over the years. But if people want to invest in gold, I mean, there's like, it's a totally different criteria than what I I prefer. What matters is that people have like choose these things with intention. So they they have a clear idea of what they want and then they go and try to find out what fits that, that idea of what they want
0: to achieve. Like your approach in the sense of not just mindlessly copy pasting things, um, you know, we're told to do, but actually educating ourselves to make proper choices based on data and on um, reviewing, you know, our own personal situations, because that's the only way we're actually going to be able to make proper choices. So, actually, one thing I'm curious about so, obviously, we've covered now kind of like the steps to go through in terms of basics. We went a lot more advanced in terms of, um, the ETFs, how to judge them, and even like all the different providers we got out there, uh, and you know, if we even should bother with diversifying. So, you know, I think a lot of people have already gone through that process, but there's still value in just sometimes asking yourself, why am I investing, how am I doing it? Um, and judging uh on that. But where I'm actually want to go to is so let's assume we've done that all. Is there one country you've seen in Europe where kind of like the the best possible things of this all come together in terms of the lowest taxes, the um, the easiest to invest in. And if you could cherry pick that country, which one would it be in Europe? Oh, hard. Uh,
2: I don't know. I think I think I. The biggest issue with um, like the biggest issue with comparing countries is that I don't speak the native language of every country, and a lot of the resources I read are in English, so they may be incomplete or they may not be primary resources. So I've been working on something which I call the Guide to Taxes in which I just try to explain taxes to people. And as I was doing it, I was finding interesting features of taxes in different countries. So for example, in Slovenia, like your capital gains tax rates is lower depending on how long you hold the assets for. So like long-term, so it goes from like 20%, if I'm not mistaken, until 0%. I think for Czech Republic, that's also the case. You don't pay capital gains taxes for like holding something for like for a long period of time. So this is a feature that I naturally liked because it starts to incentivize um, people to save for a longer period of time. I also really like tax-free budgets uh, allowances basically. That's also like very useful. And I think the UK has a very nice system where the tax-free allowance is pretty large at this compared to Germany and in Portugal, for example, there's no tax-free allowance. I think what it would be great to see more of is more um, plans like the 401k in the US. So in the US, the 401k is a sort of like a savings account, a tax advantage savings account that allows investors to invest in multiple assets and then have like like lower tax rates or only pay tax rates at the end. And what I like about the 401k is that it allows investors to sort of like invest in index funds, which is something that I found it to be rare in Europe for these types of accounts. So in Europe, often you have like insurance products or active funds. So this is something that I would, I would love to have more of in Europe. Yeah, I think, I think that's the, the, the thing that I miss the most, just more tax advantaged ways to invest in index funds. Gotcha. And I mean,
0: I can I can comment on the Netherlands and the UK as in that these accounts actually exist, Although the ones in the UK are far more generous than the ones in the Netherlands. You can maybe invest a couple thousand free tax in the Netherlands, but compared to the UK, which um, yeah, with uh, an allowance by default of twelve thousand five hundred income tax uh, before you are being taxed, and on top of that, uh, don't quote me on it, but I believe it's now two thousand in terms of dividend tax and. 13000 in terms of capital gains, which is extremely generous. Um, And then I'm actually very curious what you think of the following, because if we jump over to my home country, the Netherlands, they got a very different system with a well tax, where um, right now it's standing at 1.2%, but it's going to go for the investment component of a portfolio uh, massively over the next years. Uh, so some people will be looking at one5 1.6%. Um, by default, they will have to pay over their entire portfolio. And, and guys, again, please don't quote me on numbers, but uh, it depends per personal situation how big your portfolio actually is. But moral of the story, you pay a pretty high percentage between like one2 and one6 of what you've actually got uh, every single year before inflation. Do you, uh, what do you think of a system like that? I personally think it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'll have to check. I think I do remember, I, I
2: looked into the box three taxes a while ago, but I also had the impression that they were, it was a bit like 1.2% is taxed at a given rate. So then when you would like, the, the effective tax rate was sort of like lower, but I don't recall the details of the, the, net, net, like the Dutch case. I do remember that it felt a bit just easier to just like tax everything the same to just like, you just multiply it and you don't have to think like if you sold, if you didn't sell, if it's dividends, if it was like thin dividends, just like, so the simplicity of just having a single tax rate to your, to your wealth uh, looked great. Um, yeah, but naturally we always want to optimize like pay the lowest taxes possible. And we also want to make sure that like, we still have an incentive to save for the long run but yeah, I haven't really looked into the
0: details of like like of the tax rates that are going to come. Gotcha. and then actually talking about your home country, uh, because many people in the FI community kind of consider Portugal the holy grail. Ah. Which, uh, and I believe they've recently changed this, but uh, the first ten years you move over, you pay no tax over foreign an income, and I believe right now there's a small tax right they recently introduced to it. But still, it's very generous in terms of taxation.
2: Yeah, I, I did see it, but I had the impression that it was mostly for foreigners or like folks that had residents. Somebody told me that it also works for even like Portuguese nationals if they had like a residence abroad and they were coming back. I mean, from what I've read, it looks like a good deal. I haven't really looked into the details of it, especially because when I was living in Portugal, I was paying normal capital gains tax rates and normal dividends rates. Uh, so, So I I actually never had the benefit of just paying less. I think, I have the impression that Malta also has a similar system where you're not taxed on your foreign income if you are like a non-domiciled resident. So like some countries, like Portugal is not the first, like I think the UK also has like some benefits if you also are like a non-domiciled tax resident. So... Yeah, I mean it's just another way that some countries try to sort of sort of like attract foreign capital or foreign residents. I mean that the tools are there. I think what's important is that people are aware of the, the mechanisms that the place that they live provides to either incentivize them to invest or to move there. And when people are aware, that they can make let's say intentional choices about what to do with their money, how to use it and so on. Because this is this has an impact on your returns like anything else, right? So, and it's actually, it has an impact on your returns and you can control it. So, you don't control how much your, the market is going to give you tomorrow or in two years, but actually control how much you spend in taxes, which has a, a huge impact on your final uh, return. So,
0: exactly. And obviously, we're not tax advisors and this is just meant as food for uh, thought because becoming aware as you're getting yourself about what's available the first very thing to. No, because you cannot study every single tax system in all countries and become an expert. But roughly knowing what the perks are, and once you know which country has the best perks, diving into it deeply, you know, can be an effective way of actually control. Because if you think about it, like the the expense ratios of ETFs are pretty minimal if you compare them to what we're actually paying taxes over our investments on the long run. I mean, don't I don't know the exact ratios, but. Uh, if you think about it, like the capital gains tax you're paying, 50% dis- different tax in many countries and so forth, that's far more than the 0.22 Vanguard is charging. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, once I read the book on
2: uh, personal finance, and they said taxes are the biggest expense you'll ever have on your life. And I was like, whoa, I never thought about it this way, but that's the case. So, like, being aware of them is really important. And I think, I mean, I don't think that. Uh, like people should like avoid paying taxes that they're supposed to pay what people should be is aware of like the taxes and most of these most of these um, mechanisms they were provided by governments in order to incentivize saving or incentivize people to behave in a a certain way so uh,
0: yeah that's why the tools are there exactly so let's slowly round up the interview with that because we're running out of time a little bit uh but that's good because i think this makes a very valuable discussion i've definitely learned something of yourself mario so thank you so much for analyzing us uh with your knowledge but before we let you go just quickly wanted to ask uh, if anybody wants to find more about you get in touch uh where can they find you
2: yeah i think the easiest way is just to go to my website i think you'll probably put that in the show notes but it's indexfundinvestor.eu. That's where I usually write about investing in index funds and ETFs from like, um, let's say, a perspective of somebody living in Europe. On my website, you'll also find all the details about my book that I recently published that sort of like tries to teach both the theory and the practical aspects of investing. And yeah, there's also the free mail course that I mentioned that it's an easy entry point for for folks that are just starting out but yeah i mean my website has
0: everything <laughs> perfect i assume people can buy the book on the website yeah definitely the, the the website also has details around that perfect i'll check it out myself mario thank you so much for coming on
2: thank you for having me this was super fun uh, It was definitely an amazing first podcast interview and yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i wish you all the best and
0: again I, i'd like to thank you for your work the, the podcast is really amazing Thanks, Mario. See you guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet?
1: Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes, to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content.
0: Gotcha. And also we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fight Europe retreat, obviously we organized, and this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project. To talk to guys like you, I'll learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also have richer people. So, you know, Matthias say I'm interested in this. Where do I
1: find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group.
0: Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review.